0: Today on Wattar, Lauren Wilkinson, Dr. Lauren Wilkinson from Regent College, philosopher and a guy with a new book. We get into Neoplatonism, we get into a ton of things. We get into the iconography of his book and we get into the nature, the idea that, hey, if modern people, maybe even Protestants, screwed this up, how do we fix it? Guys, we got events, Chippewa Falls, Concert with Joe Pug, Greg Gilbertson, now Lauren Wilkinson. Tell me again, do you like Dr. Wilkinson? Is that a thing?
1: Dr. Lauren? No, nobody nobody calls me Dr. Wilkinson. Lauren <laughs> is fine.
0: <laughs> let's, let's do it like that then. Uh, I'm okay. John, as you know. So here we are. Uh, I, I'm really blessed to have you today on Watar, on our podcast. You, I feel like for folks who listen out there, I've been chiming away about the old world and the new world, uh, about lessons from the old world, especially the old Christian world that I call Orthodoxy. Um, and I've read a lot of cosmology and you know, St. Maximus, but mostly this guy Philip Sherrard that I love. And then I f- I found you through a friend who loves our restaurant and listened to the podcast. And then I thought, how are we how do we not have you on, Lauren? Because you're writing about cosmos and you're writing about meaning and why there's something and not, nothing. And then you're also, I think, would you call yourself a Protestant? So let's start there. <laughs> how, how would you yeah. categorize your Christian? I, I like, I
1: like, I like C. S. Lewis's uh mere Christianity and mere Christian. Uh, I'm not comfortable with Protestant. Um I think there were things very much worth protesting about in the, in the Protestant Reformation. But what what the Reformation was doing was returning to some basic Christian truths. And so I, I have a lot of sympathy for orthodoxy. Um, you'll also find in reading the book, and actually it's it's kind of implicit in this in this carved Celtic cross that a, a student, uh, wow. or a former student who had a was teaching in Lithuania and had a Lithuanian carve this out of oak, but uh, the, the Celtic knotwork suggests uh, the uh, the Celtic connection. I don't think there's any particular Celtic Christianity. They, they too are simply re- recovering or not or didn't lose some right. of the things that Orthodoxy right. didn't lose. Uh, and a lot of people have pointed out the similarity between uh, some Celtic themes and Orthodoxy: a strong sense of the Trinity, a strong sense of the. Of the closeness of god in in and through creation a deep sacramental sense um so i, I i'm not orthodox in the capital O sense uh but I, I i wouldn't be comfortably called protestant or catholic either i'm just christian
0: you're confessing christ on some level yeah yeah uh so let's talk about we're really what it's about your book but let me ask this question creation something like stuff and stuff is something like not nothing. (laughs) So I'm starting simple to ask this question. In all of your writings, there's a strong identity and a love for creation, but what is it? What, what, what is it? Is a rock alive in your view? Is it, what, what is creation to you as a writer and a Christian?
1: I think one of the one of the ways of getting at that is to uh, is to look at the other words that people use to describe what I use creation, and the most common one today is nature. Um, the problem with nature is that it it has dubious roots. It it it's, it's 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 comes from a word for a Latin goddess, natura, and it means that which gives birth. Nature really means. It's related to the word uh, natality or native, and it just means that which gives birth. Uh, but nature, but creation didn't give birth to itself. That's one of the great mysteries, one of the great singularities that I talk about in the book. Um, why is there something and not nothing? Hmm. And so I suppose in a way, um, I mean my creation, simply everything that is, um, we wake every morning to this mystery that we 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 are in a, a world that we didn't create and couldn't have imagined, um, and we take it for granted. It's a wonderful phrase, by the way. Take it for granted yeah. because it means it means that it's something that's granted is given, <laughs> and wow. creation is granted. It's given to us. We take it for gra- granted, which means we usually forget it. But usually, but we really should take. Take it as a gift, which it is. Uh, creation, everything that is, is a gift. And our being, our being aware of it is a gift as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't say much more than that. I think creation is a much better word than nature, a, a far better word than environment, or, which is another word that gets you tossed around a lot, the environment, uh, talking about earthly creation. But just call it creation because that recognizes that it is a gift of a creator.
0: Do you think the created order, again, we're going to, the assumptions will be largely Christian, you know, Genesis in, for us, but we can, we can wander around into other cosmologies if you want the best we can. I'm not, I'm not a pro on that stuff, but do you, do you think that creation has a consciousness? Is it a, is it aware of itself or as a human being in creation or a part of can i fully be aware of myself is this possible does it have consciousness because this is a big topic now on the internet
1: yeah well consciousness like creation is another big mystery um we we don't know the consciousness of anything else we only encounter consciousness in one place and that's right here. We, we, I, I know I'm conscious. I kind of assume you are, but I'm not completely positive. I only have signs. I'm much less sure about. Well, I'm sure about my dogs, which I've kept out of the room. Um, they're conscious. Uh, the birds that are flying around are conscious. I'm not so sure about trees. Um, not too sure about the planet, um, but. The, the great mystery, the great gift, again, is that we are conscious. We, we one of the things we, the first mystery we wake to is creation. The second mystery is our consciousness of it. Um, and so I, I kind of leave the question of the consciousness of other creatures unanswered. But as I try to develop in the book, it seems to me that one of the gifts, one of the tasks of human consciousness is to let other things have a voice Hmm. if they're not conscious lift them into our own consciousness and let them uh, have a voice to to praise and respond to their creator so does that
0: does that put us in a special category as human beings i think it
1: does i think Hmm. it does i don't think there's anything else that we know of that has this ability to to give a voice to other things in the same way that we do. Um, Now, I I leave completely unanswered and uh, the question of whether there are other similar intelligent consciousnesses elsewhere in the universe, I think that's a question we we have to just leave unanswered. Um, At the moment, there's no sign that the, the suggestions are we're unique. But, you know, we could be surprised any day. Um, it's wonderful either way. If God has, has seeded consciousnesses throughout, throughout the universe or whether we're the only ones that start of the beginning, I don't know. Uh, we'll leave that unanswered.
0: Yeah, I've never, I agree. I've never, that's not, that doesn't flummox me. I, people, whoa, what about aliens? I don't know. It yeah. feels like a continuation of the same narrative. Uh Something yeah. wasn't and then something was and maybe there's an alien that was and that is. I, I agree. So you're okay with it feels like you're okay with a bit of unknowing, quite a bit of unknowing, which I don't know that modernity is that okay with that. I feel like as soon as something's unknown, the whole point is to to know it. Right. Can we live in no. like in that unknown space okay as Christians?
1: Oh, I think we have to. And I think one of the big problems with modernity, and I, I do talk about this quite a bit in the book, is that. Well, let me let me let me take a step backwards. Uh, my what I would argue is that the basic human response to this mystery of awaking in a, a world that's a gift and being conscious of it, the basic response is wonder, is awe, and that's that's where we all begin. Children, children have it. Just watch a child uh, learning, just looking at his hand, looking, picking something up, and looking at it. Uh, but we we get old pretty fast, and we yeah. we become uh, we, we we get used to it. Um, but out of awe, out of that basic response of awe, I argue go the, the three great trees of human culture, um, and one is is worship, religion, if you will. Uh, it's recognizing that it's a gift and that they were in a mystery. Another is art. It's responding uh, with our own creativity to the, to the creativity that we, that we, that we, that's poured out upon us. And, and the third, and I spend the most time on this is science. It's trying to figure it out, trying to, trying to uh, understand it as much as we that. can. And, I... uh, and science has deep Christian roots. I spend quite a bit of time on that in one chapter of the book, Um uh, <clears throat> And and there are many routes to science, but one of the major ones in the West was um, was and this surprises many people was Francis of Assisi, or Saint Francis, uh, because he for for Western Christianity and perhaps this wasn't as necessary in the same way in, in Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, he recovered a sense of the the uniqueness of each thing that was hallowed by the incarnation but the fact that God had become a creature and uh, and Francis was not a philosopher or not a scientist but his movement which grew rapidly and spread all over uh, the western the, well, over Europe um, his movement nourished science so the early western mm. empirical scientists were uh, were Nourished by the Franciscans, but I get back to your to your question. Can we? How can we? Um, can we live with wonder? Uh, science rooted in wonder, but fairly quickly it discovered um, the power of mathematics, and and the uh, and tended to reduce wonder mm. to law and to number. Uh, and those are wonderful tools. Uh, tools, that, as one scientist says, we don't deserve the way mathematics enables us to do science. On the other hand, that's a simplification of what causes wonder. And here I come to uh, an idea that I've been tremendously helped by by, uh, by a, uh, a British psychiatrist who started out as a literature professor, Ian McGilchrist. Wrote a book called yeah, The Master he, he, and His Emissary.
0: He reviewed your book. He is uh he is intense.
1: Uh, uh yeah, we I like, like him in is.
0: my house. We like him.
1: <laughs> he's been a good friend. He's been in our house. Uh, and uh but he he's done a lot, a lot of work as a psychiatrist on the fact that we had essentially, as human beings, have two, two brains physically. We share this with birds and animals. We have the we, we speak of them as the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. We all use both of them, they're both, they're both equally important, but they do different things. They respond to the world in different ways. And one of the ways of responding to the world is to simplify it, to make a map of it, to reduce it to numbers. And we're humans are very good at that um, because it enables us to use it. Um, I mean, birds and animals do the same thing. Birds have uh, have a, a consciousness that can just pick out a single seed, um, but they also have a consciousness that's aware of what's going on around them, and and that is that's the uh, essentially uh, the right brain's task. It's to is to respond in empathy
0: uh,
1: yes. to the world, and and again, we need both. We need the ability to. Pick out our food <laughs> to, to reduce the world to something to eat, but we also need the world the, need to to respond to the world as something to love. And what McGilchrist argues and shows very well in his book, "The Master and His Emissary: The, uh, the Divided Mind and the Making of the Western the Modern World," is that <clears throat> since the growth of science in the beginning of you know about four or five hundred years ago. Uh, we've increasingly seen that analytic, reductive part Mm. of the mind as the most important part, as Mm. the master. In fact, it's not the master. The master is the part which is capable of of, of, of responding to the world in love and wonder and awe. And and yet we're simplifying the world uh, to something we can use, to something simply useful. We turn nature into natural resources, for example. It, um, so that so yeah, I'll, I'll stop
0: at that. No, this is fantastic. Is that narrative? Um, uh, was that a motivator? So one of the reasons that I came on here to talk with you is because of circles and the cross, and your book. Is this is this how your book emerged out of your soul, so to speak? Is it did it come from this narrative that you know something's off and we have to rebalance? Because Christ is going to talk about. It's, it's not that left is better than right or right is better than left. It's that it's unbalanced. Mm-hmm. Is this part yeah. of the motivation for your book that I hope everyone well, will read, by the way?
1: Well, actually it's one of the reasons the book took so long because McGillcris wrote his book. I think in 2013, I encountered it by a former student who was excited about it, sent it to me. Uh, and then I met McGillcris. We had him come for lectures. And, and when I read McGill, when I read the book, a lot of things became much clearer to me,
0: and oh, really, the,
1: the, the, oh yeah, the concerns concerns that I'd had in, in environmental concerns, and you know, just the, the whole problem of modernity. Um, uh, McGilchrist's analysis helped me understand it. Um, the book started much earlier. I'd say sure. that the book probably began. Well, begins with all of us. It, it, it begins you know waking up in mystery as a child we all we all have right. that experience i had the privilege of growing up in a in a in a rural environment in a, in a farm along a river in oregon uh as a christian didn't really question the christianity but i also had a deep sense of the of the wonder of of the created world and i was able to wander in and experience but i never really put the two together as a right. good right. Uh, conservative protestant i guess i I knew that Jesus was my savior, but what did what did Jesus mean for, for the fir trees, for the trilliums, for the salmon, for the river? I didn't have any resources to talk about that. That's right. And at the same time, I was along with my family and most other people busy reducing that wonderful world to natural resources. Our family were farmers and loggers, so I spent a lot of my like. I'm as a child and a teenager growing up logging, helping my father log and it was okay to cut the trees down. We were turning the trees down, turning them into fields but I but something was wrong. And when I came away to college, um, I began to have a way of putting back putting together my Christian faith and ask the question, what does Christ mean for for the forests and 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 the rivers and in a way, I've been trying to answer that question ever since. Right. I, I was a I I taught when I my first teaching job was teaching literature, teaching English. Um, but it but I couldn't get keep away from what was this was back around the early 70s, beginning of the environmental movement. And and so in I think 1974, my wife and I started uh, an environmental studies program. There was a place on another island, Whidbey Island. Uh, that our college had available and so i i came i I got a group of students together we lived in the house together with them and that is something i want to come back to i think being together in a community Mm -hmm. is an enormous and being around a table and you understand this very well because you know the value of a restaurant
0: yes Um, we are doing eating together drinking together
1: is really important but that was a setting in which in the seventies, we did this for three years with the students um, until something else took us away. Um, that I think it was a, the book really began there. In fact, I had a phone call last night from a a student who is now retired. He's seventy two. He has two grandchildren. This is hard to believe because I think of him as a kid, as a student. But you know, this is fifty years ago he says that was a that was the best those were the best years of my life those that that course and it it started that that started us thinking about um how how we put our faith together with our living in the created world and how we put that together with our living with other other people other christians and since we've been working on that ever since um i think the book itself probably began on a sabbatical in Scotland at St Andrews. Um, oh, it's been twenty-five or thirty years ago now. When we we uh, we joined in the week before Easter, we did this highly un-Protestant thing of of taking a pilgrimage, joining a group of people who were carrying a cross across the Midlands of uh, the the uh, the borderlands of uh, England and Scotland. Ending up at Lindisfarne, which was an important uh, Christian center back in the seventh and eighth century, yeah, from which much of east of Europe was kind of reevangelized. re-evangelized. But uh, that experience of carrying across through the countryside and realizing that this, this is, this in a sense provides a center for for everything around us. Um, that i think is where the book really began and i began and i I was also experiencing again that the power of this of this of this symbol the uh the celtic cross it's called which of course is a cross but it's in the center of a circle yeah the circle is a is a traditional image for for everything that is for creation and if we but but the the cross is bigger than the circle and it provides the center for the circle. And if you think of the, the cross as, a, as something, the, the, the Celtic cross as a picture of the self-giving love of God, which you see most clearly in Christ on the cross, as the center of creation, upholding creation, That it's, it's developing that idea that I think uh, is, is really the source of the book.
0: Well, one of the critiques... I'd love to hear what you think about this in the East about what you're speaking of is and I'll do my best, but is is fundamentally that the theology changed and the theology changed with um certain Catholic teachings Aquinas which came out of Augustine and if you if you track it as my guy Schrod does, what you see is the 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 tri- the triangle which is the Trinity represented gets flipped. And so the filioque is the idea that, right, and the Son. So the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So in Eastern theology, you know, in the, in the church, in the, in the Orthodox East, there's no filioque, as you know. And so what Sherard tries to, to expand on, which I'd love to hear what you think, and this is the critique, is that Western Christianity, basically, it removes it it takes Christ out of the triangular equation where he's down in. So God, Christ proceed, right. The Holy Spirit and, and and Christ are together within that, which is creation. And so one of the critiques is, is that Christ was sort of removed. And the Holy Spirit left sort of with us in some vague sort of unknown way. And that that allowed for, for essentially for the incarnation to be forgotten over time. Now, I'm giving it a quick run. Uh, he develops it in all of his books and, and starts with the rape of man and nature. And I was literally, I, I think as I read that early in my Orthodox conversion, that probably did more to change my view of the environment and all of these things that you mentioned. And specifically to say, wait a minute, Christ is present. And so incarnation is happening again and again and again. Christ is happening again and again and again. And so when you're in the water, it's a type of incarnation of that which water is. And, of course, that's related to God. And so God is present. And, of course, pantheism is where the Protestant West and really the Catholic West, they got nervous about that. Wait a minute, God's in in all these things. Yes, Christ is present. How is he present? And then you get the paradox, and then you get the miracles, and then you get the confusion in the West about what is true. And what is true is that which is materially true. And so, what do you think Western theology's quote responsibility, if you I don't like that word, like they're not culpable, but some people in the East argue look, if you don't change the theology, if you don't come back home, you can't get out of that which has been created, which is this furnace of materialism. The West's theology continues to perpetrate that. Is that resonance with you, or is that just? So oh, much? it
1: resonates a lot, and I would only uh, um, f- fine tune it by by pointing out that that Aquinas, that Augustine Aquinas line isn't the only line in, in Western theology either, even though it did sure. unfortunately have the the the, the most. It, the strongest voice, and one of the um, one of the most important divergences from that is a Franciscan theologian philosopher named Duns Scotus. Duns Scotus was a, a, a near contemporary of Aquinas, so a, a bit older, uh, who differed from Aquinas in um, some very important ways, and the most important way is what. Franciscan scholars today call the primacy of the incarnation.
0: Yeah, that the that's incarnation.
1: Nice. That the incarnation was in God's purpose from the beginning. It's not a. It's not a rescue operation to sort of save a, an that's experiment right. that went bad. It's there in the beginning. It's and so in a sense, Christ is in all things. Or a better way of putting it, more biblical way of putting it, all things are in Christ. Yes, this is the way the gospel. This is the way John puts it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was uh, was with God. But all things are in Christ. All things were created in and through the Word. Um, and so, this is, <clears throat> I, I, sure, this is an orthodox insight. But it's pre pre division. It goes back to it goes back to John. It goes no. back to uh, no. be, before the Filioque controversy. But but I but I fully agree that Western theology with uh, with that line kind of took a wrong turn, uh, God becomes... God the Father becomes... um, Yeah, the rest of the Trinity kind of becomes almost an embarrassment. Um,
0: Yeah, it becomes... Well, it leads to Deciaster's Grand Inquisitor, which is like, okay, listen, Jesus, you're not really wanted here. Like, here's the deal. You just confuse us, okay? There's mammon, there's the church, and let us get on with the business of providing mammon. Kind of get out of the way already. (laughs) And and for the Orthodox, at least for me, I'll just put it like this. For me as a convert, man, that helped me. That helped me because I I was living in Africa, and, you know, our work – takes us around the world doing peace corps style development and and all of our guys wake up to this because what they keep seeing is juju religion i call it juju religion as a it's a generality it's the mayans the santerias the the african they're all practicing something like this intermingling of the spirit with material reality and i couldn't i couldn't place myself when i was a protestant coming up as an episcopalian i couldn't place i i was just like dark evil. But then it can't be like that. There has to be some continuity. And then I started to realize, oh, this ancient Christianity speaks in that way while upholding and worshipping the incarnation of the creator of all things. And then I'm like, oh. And then, Lauren, without me stealing all this interview, here's what really is really fascinating. Then you start to realize there is no contradiction between science and 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 religion. Then you start to realize, oh, 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 I don't have to fight one against. And that was a big help for me. It's a big well, help.
1: Because the scientist is simply unfolding what God is doing in creation. Right. It's, it's the same task. Not, <laughs> uh, there's no tension at all. Unfortunately, I never had to fight that battle. You did uh,
0: not. Is that interesting? Yeah, okay. I,
1: I just never. I, I didn't have any trouble with. I saw evolution as another name for what God is doing, um, and it's you know it's, it's a mistake if we leave God out of it. But it's it's it's, it's, it's it describes the slow process of God's unfolding.
0: Can I ask a quick question about that? This I, we'll get. I, we can talk about anything. Um, I'm on a bender about evolution. Do you think evolution? do you think it can be told as an origin story for modern people and still lead us to something like peace of heart, peace of mind? Or do you think it's a narrative that we need to get rid of? And again, if you don't want to talk about this, that's fine. But I I do. I just want to hear what your opinion is. Well,
1: evolution at the capital E that is the, see, there are really only two big stories that you can appeal to to answer the question. Why is there something rather than nothing? Um, and the first the, the 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 ancient story is that it's a it's a creation it's a purposeful thing. Uh, there's a person behind it, in it, through it, um, and that's the creator, God. The other big story is that it's an accident. It's just as one contemporary cosmologist puts it: one of the th- the universe is one of the things that happens from time to time, <laughs> and we too are just one of the things that happens from time to time, which means that all of our 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 anxieties and philosophies and everything it's, it's just a part of the accident it's sort of like the right uh, you know the, the the pebbles on the beach it doesn't really mean anything and and there's no and, and if you're if by evolution you mean um, a story that begins with that with uh, an explanation that's rooted in that story Well, then, of course, it can't provide any 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 purpose, any meaning, any Mm -hmm. satisfaction. If by evolution you mean studying carefully this unfolding mystery that uh, that we uh, that that we don't that that that, when you when you get to the end of any scientific description, um, including the uh, you know so called evolutionary description you're still left with mystery. You're left right. with a, with this gorgeous, beautiful, unnecessary world. Um, and you find it in all kinds of ways. One of, the, one of the ways we've discovered it recently is what's been called the anthropic principle, that the universe, the more we understand it, the more we understand that it had to be exactly the way it is. Mm. It may be just chance, but it had to be exactly this way or we couldn't be here. Uh, and that that happens up and down the line, and so you're you're again, you're left with mystery. You're left with a miracle. Yeah. So I um, I think
0: yeah. just to finish this, at least on my end, I'd love to hear more. But I I don't look at whether it's true or not in the material sense. I'm not. I mean, there's arguments to be made that it's not, and that it is as a theory about human origins. I'll come back to this evolution thought and then I've got another good question on the on the book for you. Um, I don't know if evolution is even materially true, you know, true in a atheistic, materialistic sense. I don't really care. But I am interested in this. If it's true without what you beautifully said, without the first mover, you know, like Aristotle talks about, if it's true and you don't include the creator it can't work it it'll just end in chaos and what we're seeing i think it'll end in a a type of societal collapse because human beings first and foremost seek narrative they don't seek material truth they seek n- narrative truth they want to know their story they want to they want to be able to tell the story about beauty and and love and and hope and there is no then or that there like you said and so yeah. for me i don't really care if it's true you can't keep telling it as a culture you, you'll kill yourself i literally think like that now maybe it's not true but
1: well, I like no, hyperbole I, I, I completely agree. I, th- I think I'd have no trouble with the the material facts of evolution. I think that's what science is telling us about what God has done and is doing. Um, but it's it's meaningless without that narrative. And mm. if you say this is just one of the things that happens from time to time, it's 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 meaningless, it's purposeless. But if we understand it as what God is doing, um then then it all changes. And then what God is doing becomes clearest when we look at Jesus becomes clearest. When we look at what's, you know, symbolized by the, the the cross at the center the like Jesus at the yeah. center of uh, the self-giving love of God at the center. Uh, it's a so,
0: beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um,
1: by the way, I wanted to say, just add one more interesting little thing. Um, I, I've been involved a lot in what's called the environmental movement. Um, and, um, uh, one of the one of the most important uh, uh, early uh, documents was a, a an essay by uh, an address, actually originally by Lynn White, as his historian, called "The Historic Roots of Our Ecologic Crisis," mm. in which he argues that um, the the Christian West, in particular, bears a huge burden of of of, of guilt for the emerging environmental problems. And uh he points to two exceptions. One is Francis and Francisca. He says Francis should be named the patron saint of ecology, and he points to Eastern Orthodoxy. He says is it's that right? the same kind of thing didn't happen in orthodoxy. And uh and 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 and, and the reason is what we both talked about is that they, they both see the centrality of the incarnation in the way that um brings uh God and creation together, without resorting to pantheism. So, what uh, White's essay is often seen as a as an attack on Christianity. And he says, uh, if we're going to solve environmental problems, we either have to create a new religion or rethink our old one. And he's writing as a Christian, actually. And uh, this book I see as part of rethinking the old one. Yes. And uh, and orthodoxy is is, you know, the center of that, but
0: the Franciscan line is as well. And this ties into the book, the artwork, which is beautiful. It's behind you guys. When you go and look at the book, we'll link this, Lauren. Um, And maybe Andrew, right now, you guys could even show the cover as we're speaking. Uh, Tell us about the cover. There's a metaphor going on and it's really gorgeous too. And tell us about the cover of the book and what you're trying to do with it.
1: Well, this, it'll be on the, the, the cover,
0: screen for folks to see. So
1: yeah, the cover is uh, based on this painting that an Australian painter uh, who came to Regent, uh, as already an accomplished painter, uh, um, did when he was a student here, and uh, it's when he was here there was a ongoing uh, at, at sort of the climax, of, uh, an eruption of an ongoing argument about logging in the west coast and uh, and so um the painting is uh shows three it's a triptych, three images uh on the left and you'll see it on the on that screen i won't i won't show it i it. it's right mm-hmm. it's right there <laughs> wow. on the left is Beautiful. the islands that i can see out my window Mm. Uh, in fact, I'm going to walk over there and just show it to you. Just yeah, do
0: it, do it, folks that's who are watching. Called
1: this. Retreat Island. Uh,
0: Lauren is it. quite a character when it comes to wilderness and outdoor living can, can you, and nature. Can you
1: see that? Can you see that island out there? Oh yeah. yeah. that's retreat. That's Retreat Island. It's also the image on the left of this uh, painting, which becomes a book cover. Uh, and it's it's as it is now. It's covered with trees, but the uh, but the, the center image is the same island, clear cut, logged, mm-hmm. it's a wasteland, and uh, that's that's a powerful statement. The left, the right, the right image is a little harder to explain. It's a, it's a lake that we had hiked to up in the mountains that reminded him of some of the desert lakes in Australia. But it's also the empty tomb. <laughs> mm. uh, and if you look closely at it, you can actually see a hint of, uh, of the bench where, the, where Christ lay. Um, and so uh, Lindsay was, asked, was uh, asked to paint, do this painting in a local um, a local uh, big uh, mall shopping center in the week before Easter, which he did. and, uh, and it's called Easter Journey. Uh, because of course, the most important thing about the painting is that that center clear-cut island is also the head of Christ. Yes, on the mm-hmm. cross, uh, it suggests a crown of thorns, and the horizon line uh, is uh, is what I see I, is 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 his outstretched arms as well. So the painting is in dialogue with a very famous painting uh, by. Uh, by Salvador Dali called Christ of St. John of the Cross. Uh, you could probably show that as well. Yeah, let's show uh, that
0: too, Corey. Let's show that. And, it's, uh,
1: and it's, it's very similar. It's looking down on the crucified Christ, but the cross is suspended above creation. It's not even connected. Hmm. And uh, Lindsay gets it right. Christ is, and the suffering Christ, is embedded in creation. He's embracing creation. And, of course, I I didn't know about the book when I when he painted that. we This was, uh, oh, 35 years ago. Lindsay has now died. Uh, but as I, I've often come back to it in my thought, and then I was able to persuade the company, the publishing company, to, to put this on the cover, even though it's an odd shape for a cover. And I'm so happy because it really sums up much of what I'm trying to say in yes, the book it about the relationship of Christ and creation.
0: So can... So that's just magnificent storytelling. One, it's, it's artwork, which of course is a type of telling you have to tell. You're just using a different medium. How, how does our society, how do we, do we, do we have to become Christians? I, I'm not, I'm not going to make fun of people, but do we have to accept this? Do we need more people to accept Jesus into their heart? For for the East, that's a that's a tough thing. It feels very intellectual, like I'm I'm letting Jesus in now or something. How how does society recapitulate or recapture the things you're talking about? Which by the way, I don't know many people, and I know a lot of people who aren't Orthodox Christian or any Christian who would think anything crazy about what you're saying other than the imagery might there might not really be a Jesus, but It all sounds very beautiful, Lauren, thanks for the poetry. Uh, But there's nobody who's rejecting this as as an angry thing, like this is dumb. But how does this stuff become real again to modern people? Is it possible or is it not really possible?
1: Well, it's a great question. It's one that I have thought a lot about just recently because just this week I finally set a date for a book. Launch event here on Galeano Island, which is a highly secular, neo-pagan West Coast culture.
0: There's um, a lot of that going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, these are people I I work with. I know um, there's a there is a one angle one little Anglican church that we're a part of, but it's it's just the old folks, and it's considered completely irrelevant to what to the life of the island. So. I'm going to show a film that a filmmaker friend of mine made five years ago on on the book long before it was finished, but having showing a lot of these ideas and film mostly on Galliano. And then I'm going to walk through the argument of the book, explain this painting. And I don't know, I don't know who's going to come because the title's got Christ in the title and that's religious. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's got the image of the cross and that's religious. So I don't know how many people are just going to say, "Okay, that's religion. It's Christianity. I don't want anything to do about it." I hope a number, a lot of people come, and that I can begin to show the integrity that that of, of this the fact that that, that that our story holds together yes. around the picture of a of of create, of. of the universe as creation, not an accident, and that the clearest place we see the nature of the Creator is in Christ, mm. is in the incarnation. And I don't know how many people are going to walk away from that, or just say it's just a weird medieval kind. I of I love
0: those that <laughs> I do think we should salt the earth. I think you should do it. You know what I'm finding? I used to, I taught for a long time before I started first things and. Now I've been blessed with the board to be able to just to do this full time. I think things are changing. What I used to think was a postmodern moment with bellowing young people who are not getting it. I, I think those yell, those loud young people are actually getting it without the vocabulary and without the vision. I think they're rebelling against something that says that's not soulful and they, they may be embracing things. Oddly, you know, maybe they're not doing what I want them to do, but there's something in the rebellion that I don't think you'll get zero thumbs up from from whatever you end up doing. I do think that the, the ground is becoming ripe or rich. The mm-hmm. question is, is what emerges? Yeah. And one of my favorite guys, Jonathan Pajot, he talks about, it could go a lot of ways. A God's going to emerge, though, for, for godless people. There's no way that they can stay in a godless conversation it just you know i like the old idea that everyone's religious in fact that's what human human beings are by definition that makes them not say a dog is that we're religious by nature that we we set something high and then we make meaning out of everything we do according to the high things just what's the high thing for you and for me we all have different high things and i would argue we're all religious the question is is will people turn back to a type of Christic faith. I think you should go do the talk, Lauren.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm planning on it. It's it's all set. By the way, about that word religion, and I I actually say this, in I'm sending a mail out to every person on the island with a picture of the book cover, the blurb on the back, and then inside, a little little thing, I say, don't be offended, don't be scared by the religious title, Um, because we are all religious. The word religion, and I point this out. Um, Religion—the word—is related to the word ligament. Religion is that which holds us together. Ligaments hold us Speaking together. You can't live without ligaments; your body would fall apart. You can't live without religion, whether you whatever your religion uh, is. So, uh, I also, in my book, somewhere say this: this book is for for. Uh, 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 religious people of both theist and atheist persuasions who are having <laughs> trouble who are having trouble with their faith because a lot of people's Christianity doesn't seem to fit with the world they're living in either, uh, and a lot of people's atheism doesn't fit either. They're having trouble with their faith. So this, I hope, I challenge people from both sides.
0: That is really well said. It's. Also, the religion part—I don't know, because I—I would love for you to go listen to some of our podcasts. But I have two podcasts on that. In fact, it's sort of how we started out with this entire podcast. So let me ask you a question about that. Um, I think there is an old world. So, so I, I want you to hear that. You can hear it chronologically. I'm just, there's a question for you. I wonder what you think. You can hear it chronologically as it's older than say the, the uh, refer, uh, not the reformation, sorry, the enlightenment. I don't know. Take it 1600, something like that. There's a type of pre enlightenment people and the way that they went about the world. And then there's post enlightenment. Um, And I, I, I know that's not a fair category always, but I, our podcast is about that because when we go and work in Africa, what we constantly see is this old world ligament. It's it's it, it's it recognizable. It has contours. It has shapes. It has a reality and it's old and um, the new world has its own realities. And so I wonder, first of all, does that categorization make any sense to you as a, I'll call you a new world Christian. That's not fair, but you have so many unique ideas does it category make sense? And number two is, is can they be united in something Royal? And I think your book is doing that personally. I think that's why we're talking. Cause we have a natural affinity one for the other, but do you think, would you, would you want to get rid of those categories old and new? Are they not helpful to you?
1: Well, uh, no, I, I think it's it's helpful, and, and I and I, I I use different language in the book, but I talk quite a bit about the fact that the uh, the Enlightenment, and I have a whole chapter on the Enlightenment. Yes, and then I have a chapter on Romanticism, which is a, a, a distinct term, but it's it's a whole series of reactions against the Enlightenment. People saying this is not enough. There's more. There's more to being human than this reduction, and. Uh, <clears throat> And in a lot of ways literally the new world america the united states in particular was a, a almost a, a, a kind of proving ground for this uh, a way of testing uh, yes, yes enlightenment against romantic vision there's an enlightenment reduction going on but there was also this encounter with something that that with wilderness with with a with a with a with a wonder with an awe and out of that tension i think grew the environmental movement in the in the 20th century mm. and and i've often characterized the environmental movement as an ethic in search of a religion people know there's got to be more than the enlightenment reduction of things we're more than just accidents but where do we go the, the christianity has seemed to be uh that didn't seem to have the answer partly because of the same uh, very problems you talked about in the in the in the direction it took with with Aquinas and so forth, um, and some people do turn to orthodoxy, uh, turn to a more, more sacramental Christianity, yeah, right, um, right, and, and um, or or they turn to neo-paganism or equal feminism, various things. I have a whole chapter in the book called uh, "Searching for a New Religion," and I look at these sympathetically, but say they they all fall short and um and then the fast factor of the book is trying to to develop the the kind of I guess you'd call old world Christianity mm-hmm. that we're mm-hmm. talking about that does connect with what other people would dismiss as as pagan or pantheist, but it does so in a in a thoroughly incarnational way.
0: That's how I feel about your work. um Our friend Matthew put me onto you, and then I started by the way, the book I would recommend for many reasons, but here's one. It's like a memoir, Lauren. Uh, We learn a lot about you and you talk. I really enjoy when the author is really right on the edge in terms of being really present in the narrative. I like that rather than a more scientific narrative. I really like when someone's. But it's that kind of book that allows us to get to know you. And uh, when you put it down, you're. I'm intrigued anyway. And my big intrigue comes from the fact that you're a Westerner in the Christian tradition and making sense of things that blew me away, uh, both in your book, but also in the stuff that I've encountered in terms of sacramental life in the Orthodox Church. And so it's a really nice, it's a really nice book for folks and it's accessible. And so that's a good thing. What do you want us to know before we we hang up. I think, I think we talked about the things I want to talk about. You wrote a great article on uh, the emergence of a new metaphor for earth, the Gaia, the the ideas of Gaia and mother earth. And there's a series of questions there about consciousness. I think we've talked about some of them. Have you read, or are you interested in St. Maximus the confessor at all as a philosopher? I, yeah. I, yeah,
1: I'm, I'm aware of his work. Yeah. And uh, he, he, caught very well in the cosmic nature of christian faith and that though so yeah he's the great uh, orthodox cosmological thinker i don't yeah, know yeah his neoplatonism
0: should, but... you see it in your work you see it
1: in the, I'm, a some... little, I'm I'm not comfortable with the neoplatonism at all i think that that's a mistake and i think that's a danger interesting uh because and, and this is this is where uh Scotus also stands against a, 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 actually a Platonic and Neoplatonic streak in Augustine and Aquinas, which says, in effect, um this is how I would put it, and we might disagree on this. Um, the, the the Neoplatonic way is that all things you know ascend and come together in God. Uh, yeah. so that when you look uh <clears throat> Well, I have a, a colleague, who's not a colleague anymore here at Regent, who's uh, very much uh, along these Neoplatonic Christian lines, who in one of his books says, uh, created things have only a borrowed reality. Mm-hmm. Their reality is really God. If you trace it back, it's God. Uh, but I don't think that's biblical. I don't think it's Christian. I think when you look at a tree, as I'm looking at, I'm not looking at more of God and looking at something that God has condescended to hold in being in it for itself, for, for what it is. Um, and and so there are a whole cluster of ideas that, that, that Duns Scotus developed. Um, hexiety, hexietos, the, which means the isness, the isness of things. Yeah. Things are what they are, not because they participate in some divine reality, but because God... Sacrificially, lets them be themselves, and that's a costly decision on the part of the creator to let things genuinely have their own being. Uh, this is another debatable term that uh, that uh, the uh, uh, people like my colleague would reject: the universality of being, that things have a real being, uh, like gods, uh, in a sense. God let God lets them be, um, and so that when you look. What things, as they develop in a godlike way, don't become more of God; they become more themselves. But that's not necessarily opposing to God. No, this is these these are ideas that we could talk about more. Um, So that's the that's the danger, I think, in the Neoplatonism of of Maximus and 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 runs through a number of Orthodox thinkers.
0: Um, Yeah, no, you're right. Well, that's the thing that many of the reformers are rejecting when they were sort of, there was an invite there in the 1500s to go and actually talk to the East. And uh, uh, this, argue, this conversation was the one, the East, at least one of the two of the patriarchs. Some of the the scholars from the Tubingen University, the Luther guys were talking to the patriarchs. Yeah. And it was this conversation that, eventually sort of ended the conversation because it <laughs> ended
1: Let it, it not end ours <laughs>
0: no right I and mean, here yeah. we are still yeah. but yeah. Uh, yeah. i'll say that it feels like weeds what what i like about your work and i really love about many of the writers in the east is that there is a relationship between what feels like you know philosophical weeds you know we were about to get into the nature how much god is in a tree but it really is important because those ideas play out. In other words, uh, as you know, seeing is not believing in Christianity. Believing is seeing. You become aware because yeah. you start in God. And so you see what is because you have faith in God. And so the, the that thing creates the reality on some level. So it does matter what you're believing because it will play out in material reality i really think that's a christian thing do you think that's a christian thing it feels christian to me
1: oh definitely and uh and it's actually i i I draw quite a bit in my in in my in my book on on the thought of michael Polanyi, um who is a thinker a scientific philosopher of science who pointed out that in both religion and science we believe in order to understand. That's right. that's right. Faith comes before understanding, not the other way around, and that's that's true. It's true in science as it is in religion, because essentially we're 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 exploring one world, not two. It's not a religious world and a scientific world. there's one world. Um, so much more I'd like to say uh, back to this idea of uh, of of things having their own being. This is implicit in the very Genesis account, um, and it's which is often misquoted. Uh, that refrain that comes again and again in Genesis 1 is not, and God said that it was good. It's God saw that it was good. Already acknowledging the otherness. He's not just saying it, putting a label of goodness on it. He's seeing its goodness as something in itself or yeah. itself and upholding that selfness. And anyway, that's, that's not a big idea. But I um, think
0: you could trace that right down to say like a civil right, right down yeah. to the constitution. It, it's like, no, you're good in and of it. You're, you have something invaluable given to you. The problem yeah. is, is yeah. when you try to cut it off from a creator, we know this already. And it's, it's why we have an ecological problem. I don't know if you know Paul Kings North, but this is what I'd like to do. He's become kind of a friend of the show. He was a mm-hmm. activist and, uh, no, no, I know
1: his work. I read some of the things he's written and like it very much.
0: I think it'd be neat if you came back with him and the three of us had a talk and we just sort of mixed it up. I think he knows about you and um if we get a chance, maybe we call back in a couple months and we we try to hook hook the three of us together. I feel <laughs> like I think it'd yeah. be a really nice nice talk. No, I
1: really responded to the path he's walked. I see it. You can't. Very-
0: He's, he's aggressive, but he's also, um, he's kind. I I like, I like where he's, what he's trying to do. Some of his writing is tough, but it's, you know, I think it's appropriate in our age. So let's, let's leave it at that. And then I hope you'll be a friend of, of our, of our little show and, and, we can talk again. And if I ever get back up, I was up there. I threw one of these dinners that we do from our restaurant called the Supra. It's a Georgian tradition from the Georgian, the Caucasus, from Orthodox Georgia. And we talked a little bit about it, but I threw one of those in on, I think it's called Vancouver Island. Isn't there a big Island? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. It's right over there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Actually you're mentioning the dinner is one of the thing I wanted to say, and I think this is a wonderful, wonderful way of bringing the Orthodox, uh, uh, to a, come to a right good conclusion. Um, as as I'm, one of my favorite, one of the great icons, as you know, is Rublev's um, icon of the Holy Trinity. I have to a, a poor copy of it here. Uh, you it's you, you you know this? Yes, Great, sure. great sure. picture. Um, this is one of the things I love about this very rich icon is that the three figures who are, you know, the, the guests, Abraham's guests in Genesis, but they're spoken of as one, and so the Orthodox have seen it as an image of the Trinity. Um, <clears throat> they're they're responding to Abraham's hospitality, who lays yes. food for them. Um, so this is a meal. It's around a table. Um, and the important thing is that the the empty place at the table is facing us, and the very perspective of the of the picture uh, has us at the vanishing point, inviting us into a bigger world through the food. And one of the ways we, and I talk about this in the book a bit, we began to learn about the reality of the Trinity, is and, which is not so much about threeness, is it's about community, it's That's about right. connection, it's about love, and uh, and one of the best ways of experiencing that is eating around a table which is a plug for your restaurant it's <laughs> it's how we began to learn uh to learn a, a deeper a deeper uh understanding of what christian faith meant when we were eating around the table with students and we still do that a lot i saw a <laughs>
0: video of you doing that I mean, is that part of the movie maybe that you're speaking of i saw it online i
1: think it's in the movie yeah a little bit of that in the movie yeah, yeah.
0: i am thankful for that i'll just let you know that tonight is a friday and at our restaurant in Greenville, South Carolina, if you were to get reservations, say you and your wife or friends, three of you came, whatever, you would come to a table that we call the community table, and you would join seventeen others who don't know each other, you know. And we begin the toasting tradition called the Supra, and people are so, it's so odd. In the first three toasts, there's there's sixteen or so toasts. There's a toast to the spirits of the dead. There's a toast. To, there's there's a canon that the tamada the toastmaster, can play, sort of like a DJ. But when it's done, Lauren, what you just described in that icon is is palpable because people did not know each other. I've had people walk out of there, other friends. It's a very unique, and it's held in public. In other words, it's in the main part of the restaurant. So if you were to not join that table, you could still sit in the restaurant and watch. Like it, they're your friends. They're your <laughs> they're your neighbors doing this thing. And we took it right out of Georgia where they still do this all the time, all the time. And, um, it, we got in the New York times, I, like a lot of weird stuff's happening. Uh, the mayor, people like this thing. And I think it touches on all the things you just said and have been saying in your book, which is community. Well, I
1: hope I can join you in one of those meals. Uh, if not there, if you come up this way again, by all means, let me know,
0: oh, we'll throw one for you. All right, brother. So, Thank you for your time.
1: Okay, thank you. It's been a great conversation.
0: And and we'll try to do it again.
1: Let's do it.
0: Okay, sure. okay. take care. All right, guys. Hey, when you go and get this book, Circles and the Cross, you, I think you'll like it a lot. If you do, Dr. Wilkinson tells me not to do it on Kindle because his footnotes, which took a lot of work, aren't well framed in that setting called Kindle. But let's keep going, guys. www.first-things.org. We've got a cool little concert in Wisconsin coming up with Joe Pug and Greg Gilbertson, and we're throwing a capy there in Chippewa Falls, December 3rd. Also, 50 recurring donors. We are down to 41. 41 more Guys, 41 more. We have 81 days to get 41 more. Bum, 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 bum. You can feel the pressure. Go become a recurring donor at First Things, first-things. thingsorg Also, if any of you ever want to send something to Andrew who makes these videos, send a note to say thank you. And maybe send him a scarf because it's cold in Argentina. He's our editor, producer, media guy. He and Corey work on this, and I'm saying thank you to them. But I'm going on and on. You're probably not even listening anymore because
1: why are we talking about rabbits?
0: Goodbye. Much love.
1: Peace out.